Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Take five. (laughs) Hello, everyone. This is Colin Schindler, welcoming you back to the first podcast in a new series of Football Ruined My Life. Apologies for the close season break, but those of us who were captivated by the Ashes and those who were born in Manchester had a feeling that our weather, which, as you know, is usually akin to that of the Gobi Desert, might have come back to haunt us. Anyway, begone dull care, for here we are again, the miserable East Midlander John Holmes, the choleric Scotsman Patrick Barclay, and the curmudgeonly wet blanket Colin Schindler, all ready to evoke memories of football when the world was young and gay. And I use that word advisedly. Here it comes. Hello, this is Colin Schindler, welcoming you to another edition of Football Ruined My Life the podcast series that is guaranteed to leave you wondering why Harold Wilson isn't still the Prime Minister and matchday programmes don't cost sixpence anymore. Yes, my intrepid companions Patrick Barclay and John Holmes are joining me on our regular journey through the mists of time as we go in search of football land of lost content. The subject of this week's podcast is a man the very mention of whose name will arouse some kind of passionate response. I refer to the man in the ubiquitous green goalkeeping jersey, the man who should have been the England manager but who never was, and the man who, single-footed, kicked my colleague and friend John Holmes round the car park at the city ground in Nottingham as they negotiated Peter Shilton's new contract. He was a character, wasn't he, Brian Clough? And joining the three of us this week is a man who spent the best years of his life, of his playing career at any rate, at Nottingham Forest and whose subsequent distinguished managerial career did not, as far as I'm aware, include a violent physical assault on a perfectly harmless agent. A very warm welcome to Football Ruin My Life, drumroll, clash of symbols, to Martin O'Neill. Martin, I hope I'm right in praising you for not kicking any agents, but confining such assaults to the football field where they rightly belong. Mm, I would like to have done, I must admit, (laughs) throughout my time. John, I think being... Probably the first agent that we really knew, we being the likes of Tony Woodcock, John Robertson, people like that. John had brought Peter Shilton to the football club. It was, I have to say, a landscape changer for us in many aspects. I know we got off to a really decent start. We'd got promotion. And then it was the first five or six games we had played. Peter Shilton hadn't arrived by that time. We had got off to a really good start. But there's no question that Peter Shilton had a major influence in, in us winning the championship. You were there, you were at Nottingham Forest when Brian Clough arrived, weren't you? I was, yes. So the first question would be, what did you and the rest of the players 
think when you heard that Clough had been appointed your manager? Well, first of all, we had to be delighted for a start because not only was this a footballing manager, he'd won the league with Derby County in 1972. He wasn't just that, he was a celebrity. He had been going on Michael Parkinson. It looks as if he was on Michael Parkinson's show every five weeks. <laughs> and he was a major star. And he's arriving at our football club, what, 20 miles away from where he had his great success. And it didn't bother you that he'd had this terrible time at Leeds where he's got fired after 44 days and he'd been at Brighton where he hadn't been a great success. It did seem at that point his career was teetering. Do you know what? I actually think that we learned as much in the interviews that he did, not concerning football, I'm talking about interviews with Michael Parkinson and things like this here, that his time at Leeds was never going to work. Mm. And to tell you the truth, I actually think if he really analysed it himself, Brian Clough, he thought it wouldn't do either Mm. because he had been criticising the players. These players were terrific footballers. They had Mm. just won the league as well too and they were entering the European Cup. And he, he, being Brian Clough, did not like the manager... Don Revy. Mm. Whatever you say about him as an England manager, Don Revy was one of the great club managers in the game. No question about that. Mm. So when Brian Clough had told these major players in the game that they had cheated, that they should throw their medals in the bin, well, you can imagine what sort of welcome he was going to get with the likes of Johnny Giles and Billy (laughs) Bremner. And I think the only friend they had there was Alan Clark amongst all that. Now, okay, so doesn't work out for him. 44 days... But I don't think for one second that his reputation was tarnished at all. You are absolutely right to think about his time at Brighton. My abiding memory of him at Brighton was sitting in a dugout with the two sons beside him. I think they were very, very young. And it was almost as if he cast a, a disinterested eye on proceedings in front of him. You know, uh-huh. I think they got hammered in a game by Bristol Rovers. Was, and, you know, was he what? with Peter Taylor at Brighton? He was. Yes. He was? He was. Yeah. The two of them because were together. I had together. the theory that the two of them together added mm. up to genius. Absolutely. But did Taylor have to be with Clough for Clough to be a genius? Do you know, my own view is that Clough, on his own, could be an absolute superstar. Yeah. Peter Taylor definitely enhanced him. Yeah, There's no yeah, question about yeah. that. Clough was definitely a stronger, a better manager in every aspect with Taylor by his side. Mm. Do you not think, Martin, and this is probably moving on a bit, I first met Clough, as you say, when Shilton came to Forest, which mm-hmm. was a very interesting transfer for me to undertake because, like you, from a distance, I'd always admired Clough. Mm-hmm. And this was the first time I'd actually ever come face to face with him. Mm -hmm. I'd seen him on Parkinson and all those sort of things. And, of course, he turned up an hour late, Mm -hmm. deliberately. This Mm -hmm. was a power game. I think he was more interested at that stage about power over people. Yeah, he wanted to be in complete control. And Peter Shilton was not in his control during those proceedings. Therefore, he's wanting now to put you in a place that he thought that you should be in, that you shouldn't even be having discussions at all. Peter Shilton should be coming up and speaking to Brian Clough on his own. You've never discussed this with me, but I think that that is the case. You and I have the same reading of that. He kept his waiting for now. Mm -hmm. Taylor was in the room to start with. Mm -hmm. And Taylor, I mean, I have vivid recollection, of course, of this. Taylor had a habit of putting his tongue into his cheek to show he was nervous. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right, he did. All the he time, yes. and he was nervous. Yeah. And he yeah. kept saying, he'll be here in a minute, mm-hmm. he'll be here in yeah. a minute. Because yeah. he could see Shilton was on the point of saying, we're going to go. 
And we would have gone. And then Clough walked into the mm -hmm. room eventually, claiming he'd played squash. He was brandishing the squash racket. Mm -hmm. He was in his shorts plus the A top. Mm -hmm. And he just walked straight in and kicked me and said, who are you? <laughs> you can imagine this, can yeah. you not? That, that's oh, exactly that... him. Mm -hmm. And then Peter said, this is John, he's representing me, blah, blah, blah. And then we had this infamous conversation where, you know, he emerged at one stage with a supermarket bag full of cash mm -hmm. and said, this is what I'm offering you. Mm -hmm. And was a bit upset that that didn't work as a tactic. That would have been a Taylor. Taylor was absolutely... Concerned with the money. Clough wasn't. Okay, so you're telling me something I didn't know about that. But yeah. funnily enough, your storytelling kind of reminds me in many detail about a situation myself where Peter Taylor, Peter and I didn't get on fantastically well for quite some considerable time, like most of my time there. <laughs> so Peter, more than Brian, wanted to sell me to Coventry City. We've just come back off beating Leeds United in a cup game. And the boys are the two lads at the top of the, the bus are euphoric. Then Peter Taylor calls me down to tell me that Gordon Milne would like to sign you and could you go over to Gordon Milne tomorrow morning and speak to him? So I go over, discuss some things with Gordon and it's, we'll conclude this tomorrow night because he said you are part of a transfer deal. You are going in part exchange and Forrest are signing Mick Ferguson. Mm. So I said, well, what's the deal? Well, he said, well, you're down at 250000 Ferguson is 750000 so we're getting you and £500,000. And I said, well, I think that's a good deal for you, you know, <laughs> a really good deal. He said, oh. And I'll never forget his words. He said, yeah, we think that as well. <laughs> so anyway, we're down to meet at around about 7 o'clock. Gordon arrives over and Mick Ferguson arrives with his wife as well. And Peter's there. And you're just talking about Peter the tongue into the lips and being uncomfortable. Yeah. Peter's uncomfortable in conversations with people that he doesn't really know. Mm. When Brian uh, has to be over and speaking, yeah, yeah. he becomes really uncomfortable because there's only so many times you can say, oh, Brian will be here in a minute, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. anyway, so we're waiting around for Brian to arrive. He arrives about an hour late, immediately sees Mrs. Fergus, and he says, I'm really hungry. He said, would you fancy something to eat? So he takes her up for something to eat at the Trent Bridge Cafe or the <laughs> and leaves Mick there. So we're playing sort of musical chairs now at this minute. So by the time that Brian arrives down again, somewhere along the way, they've gone off the deal. Peter kept saying to Mick Ferguson, how many years have you been at Coventry? Oh, seven years. You know, you should be getting loyalty money for this. I don't want any loyalty. I just want to sign for you now. No, no, you get in there. So a couple of times, Mick, at the behest of Taylor, goes in to us. And Gordon said, no, no, that's not part of the deal. Mick comes back out again. It's not happening. I just want to sign. I want to sign. You get back in there again, says Peter. So Mick realised there was something happening. He came to me and he says, what is it? I said, I don't know. I've never been transferred before by them. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I decided at the end of proceedings, this must be now 10 o'clock. So I said to Gordon, do you know what, Gordon? I'll sign the contracts now and you can fill in the figures. So it just shows you the sort of thrust that mm -hmm. I'd had. And he said, that's fine. So I signed the contracts and the following day, Nottingham Forest were travelling down to Gravesend, I think, on a friendly game. Either It was either a testimonial game or open floodlights. I think it was opening floodlights. Forest Forestware. So I knocked on the door at Clough and Taylor in the room and I said, oh, by the way, I've just signed for Coventry. 
Clough said, you've signed for no one. You'd be in that bus for Gravesend tomorrow morning. <laughs> I never heard another word of it. I never heard, never, I've never spoken to Mick Ferguson about it since. They just went off the idea. Is this making sense to you, is it? No, it's that's about, the point about it. It's is. about the power dynamic. Mm. The power dynamic between Clough and Taylor, which that book, The Damned United, mm. examined. I know the time sequences work mm. right, but I always felt the relationship between Clough and Taylor, although there was a sort of love, it was a love-hate as well. There was a jealousy there, which became more pronounced as it went on. Clough resented the suggestion that he couldn't do it without Taylor. And then, of course, they really did fall out yeah. over, over John, John Robertson, John, yeah. which yeah. I was involved yeah. in there, as you know. Yeah. And they really fell out then completely. Yeah. yeah. Well, Peter said to Brian, he said, I think we've shot it now. You know, we, mm-hmm. we've seen it. And I think Clough said, no, you might have done it. He said, but I haven't shot it yet. But then Brian looked after Peter, I think, in terms of getting him some sort of payout at the mm, end by yeah, Forrest, really. and right. then said, if you want to come back again, please come back. So not only that, Peter didn't come back, but he then went to Derby County. And then to take John Robertson, John being the major player at, at Forrest, you know, Taylor signed John. So Clough would have felt really betrayed by all of that. It seemed to me that the relationship had come to an Oh, end. I think it had. I, I, th- also... I think that, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think Clough once said that there's a myth going round here that Taylor's the man behind all of this here. <laughs> Clough was the man behind it. Yeah. To me, seeing it that time from first outside, mm. it was obviously that Taylor was in awe of mm. Shilton completely. Mm. That's yeah. why he was, was so it? nervous okay. that right. we would go. Yeah. Yeah. And the next day, because the whole saga went on over a weekend, okay. if you right. remember, and we concluded on the Friday night there was no deal. Mm-hmm. We walked round the car park mm-hmm. and he said, what do you want? Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what we want, this is the deal. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, you misunderstand me. What do you want? Mm-hmm. And that's where I said, no. Da, da, da. And then the deal was not, at that point, it was all off. Mm-hmm. It wasn't agreed. Right, OK. And then on the Saturday, Clough then went on television and announced that he'd signed it. Mm-hmm. A bit a la Story More, mm-hmm. if he you remember. Have, yeah, I've, I've when he. Uh, when he yeah. exhibited Ian Storymore on the pitch at yeah. Derby, he said, I've signed him. Clough had him paraded round the ground. And so yeah. that's really embarrassing. But I think that what happens is that if Cloughy does something like that and then announces that Peter mm. Shilton's arriving, then yeah. it's hard for other people yeah. to come back. Yeah, yeah. That's, that, that was well, funnily enough. And his one. ego was such that he didn't want to admit that he hadn't done the deal. Yeah. I phoned Peter and said, have you signed? Mm-hmm. You know, behind yeah. my back. He said, no, I've done nothing. We're where we are. And then on the Monday, in fact, it all went through. They agreed right. to okay. actually what we said. Yeah. But the dynamic between Clough and Taylor at that point, Clough was absolutely in charge. There was mm. no doubt. Mm. But I think that he was less enamoured of Peter as a player than Taylor was. Taylor was desperate to sign Shilton. Yeah, that's right, because he felt that with the start that we had, not saying for one minute that even they thought... I think the first time they had even thought that we could have won the league was when we beat Manchester United 4-0 at Old Trafford mm-hmm. just before Christmas. Yes. But up until then, I think that Peter might have thought we could get into European football now mm-hmm. if you go and sign Peter Shilton. And Peter was, whatever you say about it, in his heyday, he was a great spotter of talent. Peter with for £40,000 yeah. from Birmingham City. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Peter had that ability and then Brian could go and manage them. But Brian just expected everybody, any player should want to play for him. You mentioned earlier the Ian Story Moore deal at Derby County when Clough 
basically paraded a player who wasn't his, mm -hmm. and the player had his mind changed by Mark Busby. Actually, funnily enough, Ian would have signed for Derby. He would have signed for yes. Derby, but the board, the board changed their the mind. Committee, yeah. as they that's were called true. at the time. The committee that's, wouldn't sanction that, the That's true, but part of the way Man United tried to lever Ian Story more up to Old Trafford, okay. and what a great player he would have been for Manchester yeah. United, yeah. but for a freak injury Absolutely. in training, yeah. was that Matt, who was no longer a United manager, obviously, but was still the power behind the throne, Matt told him, don't sign for Brian Clough because Brian Clough is under virtually permanent investigation by the FA mm. for financial irregularities. Now, Matt hated Clough intensely mm. and he tried to sort of poison the waters, if you like, All about right. that. I, I, I didn't know that. The whole, right. the, I didn't know that about That's my, true. That's my true. impression was I don't think that Clough's principal motivation was money. I think Taylor was the guy who wanted the money and so on. I also attribute Clough's later alcoholism to a fact that I think Clough hated what he'd become in terms of money, that he'd become so money-orientated, because I didn't see that yeah. with him yeah. at that point when Peter signed. Yes. When the bag of cash was yes. brought in, yes. I can remember saying, Whoa, we don't do that. And it was Taylor who went, you're a financial virgin then. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, and there was a but, remark during the course of the conversation where Clough announced his payoff from Leeds he'd had to pay tax on. And I said, why did you have to pay tax on that? And he said, well, they sent me a bill. And I said, but if you get a payoff under those circumstances, the liability is not yours. Mm -hmm. It's on the club that it's paid out. And Clough looked at me like, are you sure you're right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am sure. That was my job to know mm -hmm. a bit about those sort of things. And there was an exchange between him and Taylor. And Taylor looked at him like, you fool. But Clough, he yes, would say, yes. you should play for me because I'm the best manager. Yeah. Bugger the money. The other remark that he made to me is, you've made one club go bust, young man. You're right. not going to make another. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And what yeah. they were offering... <laughs> was about half what he was on at Stoke. Is that right? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Admittedly, the deal we had done at Stoke, these were times when inflation was high. You yeah. know, kids these days are just finding out. All of us of this age can remember when interest rates were that level. Evil. When Peter went to Stoke, Peter Shilton, that is, went mm -hmm. to Stoke, I put an inflation clause mm -hmm. in his contract. Right. And the next year, inflation was 20%. And then Stoke's stand fell down yeah. and it wasn't insured. Right. That was the reason that they went bust. Financial mismanagement I... on their part and a little bit of bad luck. Yes. But yeah. inflation clause in contract, they never used to have it. You wouldn't have, no one would have ever said no. that to no. you. So no. that's what he was referring to. But Clough wasn't, he thought, yes. I'll give you glory and power. He didn't want to concentrate mm. on the money. Mm. I mean, you both made the point that, you know, to review Clough as money-oriented is in a way to miss the point. And I can remember, as an outsider, mm. thinking of Clough, even late Clough, as a principled man, you know, whose football was often highly principled in terms of fair play, you know, fouls mm. and stuff like that. What he preached on the, on the soccer field, first yeah. of all, was something you don't argue with the referees. Yeah. And you get on with the game. Yep. I mean, they've been lost in today's game now, yeah, I must yeah, admit. Yes. I thought he had those. Getting back to John's point just for a quick second yeah. about money, I think that Brian Clough 
I don't know what sort of wages he was on, but he uh, seriously he was not getting enough for the yeah, job that yeah, he was doing. Right, yes, That's yes, the point. Yeah. Clubs were not paying that sort of money out for the mm, talent that he mm, possessed. Mm. He would not have a problem in today's game now at this minute in terms of what people could afford to pay a manager. Yeah. At that, that stage, managers were chronically underpaid. Absolutely. All of them were, yeah. without exception. And the whole principle of anybody having an advisor mm. at that stage or an agent yeah. or what have you, mm. I had to go into meeting. and the manager would instantly say, you're not supposed to be here. Mm-hmm. And they would attempt to intimidate you out of the place yeah. and so on. It was only with Peter in the first place, really, where Peter said, if you don't talk to John, you don't talk to me. I can remember meeting John Robertson, who was Clough's genius mm-hmm. player, yeah. wonderful player. Yeah. He and Shilton, the left wing and the keeper, really, they were the people who won that that championship that year, in my opinion. I think Archie Gemmel had a really, really good player. I think Ian Boyer scored a number of goals. I think Viv Anders was probably their best right back in the country at the time. What about right side midfield, man? Right side midfield? Well, you know, I did the job, Patrick, up and down the pitch, and I, I I did work really hard in the side. Interesting here, because we were playing Leeds United in a game at the city ground. Yeah. 20 minutes gone, I haven't had a kick. I said to Viv Anderson, Viv, he's the best right back in the country. And I said, Viv, come on, get the ball out here, this side, down the right-hand side, instead of being down the left all the time. Viv said, no, no, I have to make a tackle first, you know, to get, <laughs> to get a confidence up. Anyway, come in at half-time, and Cluffy said to me, hey, you and I are going to fall out. And I said, why is that? And he said, because you haven't had a kick. And I made the big, big mistake. John Robertson used to say to me all the time, Martin, don't talk back. Yeah. Whatever you do, don't talk back. We'll just yeah. get on with it. Yeah. So unfortunately, I said, well, there's a reason for that. And Cluffy then puts his hand to his ear as if he hadn't heard what you were saying. What, what was that? And I said, there's only one ball. Ah. And it's down the left-hand side. And he interrupted me. And so it should be, son. He's a genius. <laughs> I'll go back to leave me a strong impression. That I'm so you have endorsed my point about his genius. Yeah. I remember Robbo meeting me in the street and said, Holmesy, what do you think I should be earning? Mm-hmm. So I gave him some kind of figure and he went, oh, right. And I said, do you think I should get a car? I said, sure you should. Mm. And he went, job for the wife? And I said, yeah, of course. Mm. And he went, you could say that, Holmesy. I couldn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. That, That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, That's out of it. that side, I mean, a very interesting side. Mm. I watched that side a lot because mm. I just moved to Nottingham. I got to know all you lot through mm. the pensions that I yeah. did for you at that time. And I watched a lot of that season. You won the league and I agree mm. That result at Manchester United just mm. before Christmas. Yeah. Suddenly you thought, blindly, they could actually win yeah. this. And it was a settled side. Mm. I could name that mm. side completely. Yep. It was Shilton, Anderson, Clark or Barrett, depending who yep. it was, yep. McGovern and so on. There were very few changes. Yep. Just like Leicester, yep. the season they won the league, mm. they had very few injuries in mm. the whole thing. And it was shaped round three world-class players mm. at that stage. Mm. Robertson, Shilton... Yes, Archie Gemmell was pretty good. Mm-hmm. With was on fire. Tony mm-hmm. Woodcock was the young player yeah. coming out of yeah. nowhere. The people who talked to me most and got to know... Tony Woodcock was interesting in that he was the one who kept asking me about the Shilton deal and how did you do this and are you allowed to take an agent into a transfer negotiations mm-hmm. and so on. Because those players were the best one in the world, like you say, they'd all come from... Nowhere, mm. in effect, almost, apart from Archie. Yeah, Gable, no, no, that's right. Yeah, no, Frank I, I Clark, yeah. 
had been at Newcastle for years, of course, was yeah. already over pension age and came yeah. to me and said, can I start putting money into a pension? Yeah, uh-huh. that would have been difficult because Frank was 114 at the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I don't know what pension he was thinking about. <laughs> but anyway, there was a naivety, yeah. and that's yeah. football at that point. But Clough, to get back to Clough, I think he was very principled in the first place. I think the money element and what that became and all those funny, friendly matches that you have flown off to mm. all over the place where cash came from nowhere and the pre-season tours that ended up making a loss, which we all know you'd, those pre-season tours never made a loss. And he mm. used to blame it in the accounts on a high milk bill. Do you remember that? Classic. <laughs> 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 mm. Forest was the ideal club, was it not for Clough? Because it was run by a committee mm. and not by a board. Mm. And the committee could be elected. And Clough was quite astute at alienating members of the committee mm-hmm. that he didn't like. That's true. There's quite a number of people he didn't like and didn't get on with in the committee, as it were. But there's no doubt at that stage, in my first impression, was he absolutely was. And together, when they were working in tandem like that, mm. there was no doubt it was genius level. Yeah, yes, yeah there definitely. was And question. then the drink mm. level, which you must have seen... coming was that during your time or later i wouldn't have noticed that at all if brian clough was drinking during his early time with us then he he must have been hiding it brilliantly i don't think that stage he was he was quite adept at trying to get people he was dealing with with drunk oh yeah yeah i mean i was regularly pouring when he went out he would pour me yeah a glass and I would then pour it into that Aspie dish room, yeah, yeah, funny yeah, room yeah, or yeah, whatever it yeah. was. This is the point because he was so, so sharp. He had a point to prove after Leeds United. Yes. And I thought he was at his very, very best. Mm. John mm. O'Hare and John McGovern and Archie will say he was equally as good at Derby County in those days that they did. Yes. So I don't know this because I wasn't there. But yeah. what I experienced with Brian Clough yeah. from 1975 to January of 1981 when I left the football mm. club was a man well, absolutely at the top of his game sharp as a tank, really, really tuned in, clever, oh, every well, bombastic, every word under the sun he, he, you could describe. Yeah. And he was, he could be so cutting in a moment, yeah. and by the end of the week, he could be as generous as they come. Yeah. I'm not talking about giving us in but terms when you of talk, you talked about that time scale and where his achievements were. I was asked to write a book about Alex Ferguson, mm. And people of your mm. time in management would probably say he was the most successful because he is by a mile. Mm. But in terms of genius, I did examine was Ferguson a genius? Mm. And I measured him against Clough. Mm. And in no way did he measure up in genius mm. terms mm. to Clough and Taylor, mm. both at Derby mm. and at Nottingham Forest, mm. where they did what Ferguson did at Manchester United, but from a much lower base. Mm-hmm with a lower budget and in a much shorter time. So there's three criteria that put Clough at his best way above even Ferguson. Would you agree with me? And I've studied a few managers, and of course you've been a very, very distinguished manager, that Clough would be the great genius of management. I think there's no question about that. No question at all. I think that... When I went to Celtic, obviously, Jock Steen has talked about in fantastic terms. You asked the players, they held him in incredible regard, yes. as you would, because they were yeah. the first British team to win the European Cup. Yeah. Matt Busby, you just mentioned, mm. Sir Alex Ferguson, Bill Shankly. Mm. You know, I talked to people at Liverpool, say Bill Shankly made Liverpool Football mm. Club. So yeah. everyone has got their place. I can only judge by what I experienced there. And I'm not so sure that any other manager 
in world football could have done what Brian Clough did mm. with us and the Derby County in that period of time. I can certainly yeah. say that from my point of view, I saw the early days of Ian Boyer at mm. Manchester City. Yeah. And I saw him merge through the youth team, reserve yeah. team, into the first team. And he looked like he was going to be a terrific player. And he was mm. part of a little coterie that Malcolm Allison yeah. had developed, including so, Derek. He was a striker there. He was like winger because, yeah. you know, some of the Belly was still all there. I remember and him in was, the team at 18. F- yeah. And then, for some reason, he lost, he got like, like left arm boulders get the yips mm. and the crowd got onto him. The mm-hmm. crowd started, yeah. it's like, he was only 19 mm. or 20 and he disappeared out of the mm-hmm. city team. But Clough took this young lad mm and made him into a star at Nottingham Forest, yeah, yeah. and he fitted in beautifully. And all the things we thought he would achieve at City, he achieved at Nottingham Forest, and that's Clough. Well, I'm pleased you said that, because you're right, he did get a rough time at Manchester City for one so young as well, mm, too. You would have mm. thought they would have tolerated him. Mm. He was doing all the hard graft while Francis Lee was ending up scoring a few goals. <laughs> Francis Lee tapping him in the back just as they finished the game. Well done, son, you just keep that going. <laughs> you keep that going, I'll just take the penalties, I'll score a few goals, and you just get hit a, a few more times. Yeah. Right, it is. <laughs> I think that of all our team, I think that Ian Boyer was the most underrated player. But yeah. Ian Boyer could score a goal. Liverpool players used to be scared stiff of him. Boyer loved the challenge, loved the challenge. I'm telling you, you know the Liverpool, you know when we're talking about yeah, the really yeah, hard yeah. boys and yeah, stuff like yeah. this here? They stayed clear of Boyer. Really? Absolutely. If you'd been hit, Boyer looked at, let's say, his leg or something like this here, looked across to the person who did it, mm. As if to say, well, okay, yeah. we'll see, we'll see. Didn't remonstrate like yeah. I used to remonstrate. <laughs> Boyer just had a wee quick look at that. And then the next thing you know, 15 minutes later, the boy would be lying in a heap. Didn't matter whether it was at Leighton Orient or whether it was at Anfield, Boyer could do them. There were others in that time. We've mentioned Frank Clark, mm. who'd yeah. been at Newcastle, yeah. been a good yeah. fullback, but yeah. nobody would have ever described him as a person who might go to that level. Of Colin course. Barrett was also yeah. on Manchester yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Larry Lloyd really had left yeah. Liverpool not done that well at Coventry and was... Larry Lloyd ended up being a major signing. I know Peter came after that, Peter Shilton. Peter was a a really big signing, as I mentioned earlier. But Larry had played at Liverpool, had done fine at Liverpool, went down to Coventry for £240,000. Not happening at Coventry for him. We take him on loan initially and we desperately want to sign him. We signed him for £60,000. But Lloyd coming, because Lloyd was the first big, big player in the game, as we felt, to come to us at that stage... And that's the first time I Kenny thought. Burns would be another. Kenny came later. Burns, yes, no, but he was another Larry one. Larry Lloyd was revived. there during our yeah. promotion time. Yeah. Kenny came just after promotion, signed for £140,000, had played centre-forward for Birmingham. Next thing you know, we take him and make him a centre-half. Was be, he still a centre-forward at Birmingham? He was a centre-forward. He never played at Birmingham. They took him back. He'd done both, but he was principally he was seen principal, absolutely. as a centre-forward. Yeah. The other one well, interests me. You had a left winger when you came up called Terry Curran. Right winger. Was Terry on the right? Right, right winger. Right. Yeah. He yeah. was but the he, hero of the Boxing Day Massacre he, in Sheffield. Yeah, he mm. let Terry go. Terry no, 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 go. no, no, no. What, no. What happened is this year. Terry Curran signed for £75,000 from Doncaster and he was the main man. John was an oblivion on yeah. the far side of the field. Yes. John was doing the graveyard shift yeah. up and down the pitch, doing all the doggies on the left-hand side of the field while Terry was going past players at will. I'm playing in field and I'm loving it because this is the position I want yeah, to play yeah, yeah. and I can give the ball to Curran. He'll do the dribbling. He might give it back to you, he might not. It doesn't really matter. And then you can follow in. Mm. And John, 
who was totally and utterly incapable of doing the job that I eventually did for the next five years, John was out of puff by the time he got the ball. He couldn't have done those things. <laughs> and so what happened is that Curran, in the prime, got injured in the game. I think it was a burning one of the games, halfway through the season that we went up. And he got a big injury. He was out for most of the season. So I went out to that position and then the ball was transferred down the left-hand side. And that's when John Robertson came into his own. So John Robertson... This idea that John was an instant hit when Brian Clough arrived at the football club is absolute nonsense. John Robertson was a really gifted centre midfield player. Yeah, yeah. He couldn't get the ball to save his life and he couldn't head it, but he could ping it all over the pitch. Yeah. He was Glenn Hoddle. Yeah, yeah. He could manoeuvre, yeah. not all that quick. I arrived at the football club in late 71 and John was a year younger than me, just breaking into the team in centre midfield. Yeah. And you said to me, you know what, by 1980, by the start of the new decade, John Robertson will have won two European Cups and will be the fulcrum of the side, the main player of a team that's mesmerised or done so brilliantly in Europe and yes, won a league, yes. blah, blah, and all from outside left. Mm. I would have <laughs> found it hard to believe. And in John, 1978, Martin, in the middle of the club's time with you at Forest. Don Revy ups and leaves the England job for reasons that we can all remember very well. Mm. Goes off to manage in the Middle East. And the speculation then starts as yeah. to who's going to replace him. And by far the obvious candidate and the one the press and the public centred on. Mm. They all expected Clough to take that. Mm. He didn't get it. Mm. It went to Ron Greenwood, a much safer pair of hands mm. as far as the FA committee was concerned. Yeah. But I think along with his fractured playing career, I would have thought that those were the two moments in Clough's life that had a really negative impact on him. He must have been so disappointed. Do You, you were uh, there. Do you remember yeah, any of that? Right, OK. I'm not exactly sure what Brian Clough thought about not getting the England job. I don't think he was as half as disappointed as he made out to be because some things were happening with us. Mm. If I tell you that we as players held our breath mm. over that period, mm. we did not want him to go. Oh, go, no, go. We didn't want him to go because something was happening. Listen, if he had been offered the job, I'm quite sure he would have taken mm. it. But I don't think it broke his heart as much as he made it out mm. to be because he was, not to say that he wouldn't have been successful with England, I'm not saying that at all, but he was essentially a club manager. Mm. He needed day-to-day -day involvement, even though he wasn't involved day-to-day, mm. -day, mm. if you know what I'm mm. saying. Mm. He needed a club. He needed to know where he was going each day. He could not have stepped into an office down at Lancaster Theatre. Is it, or anything is it also fair, Martin, to say that because of the setup which I've referred to, where Forrest was run by a committee, mm. the situation at Derby went wrong because mm. he fell out with Longson. Yeah. And I was at the game just after Clough had been given the sack or left, uh -huh, or yeah. depending on which version you got, and watched them, because they played against Leicester that weekend, ironically. Lonson appeared out of one entrance and Clough appeared out of another. Mm -hmm. Not everyone was on Clough's side. You know, he was rather brash. Well, first of all, Brian Clough resigned every week at Darwin. Yes. And this one particular week, Lonson thought, you know what? I'm going to accept it. Yes. And then Brian went, well, no, no, you shouldn't accept this. You can't accept this. No, I was only kidding. But no, it was too late. Absolutely. So that but was... at, at Forrest, as we know, the chairman were chairman. They were only chairman of a committee. Yeah. Clough was quite good at winding them up, mm -hmm. these people. Because Stuart Dryden was only a sub-postmaster. Maurice Roeth was a down-at-heel accountant. These were people <laughs> no. Clough could control. Whereas if he went to the FA, yeah. that actually he knew... That's more difficult to control that. Whereas he got the players he wanted, he got the setup as he wanted yeah. it, 
with a committee under his mm -hmm. influence and control, yeah. it worked. And mm -hmm. that, more than money, was Clough's initial driver. I also get to the point as well where international matches would have been about four in a season. Yeah. About four games in a season. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 and they'd been knocked out of the 78 World Cup. That's right. So, you know, that would not have suited him. No. That's only my view. If you spoke to Simon or Nigel, his sons or something, they may tell you something completely different. Mm. But I, I, that was my view. Well, there you was know. a sense in, in the public, I think, well, of deep disappointment. Yes. That, yeah. uh, well, wrong green, but oh, come on. Wrong, really? Yeah. Yeah. Clough is there at Nottingham Forest doing great yeah, things. Yeah, but this is a completely different game. I mean, as a Scotland fan, I was quite hoping that England would appoint Clough because I didn't think there was a cat in hell's chance of that working. <laughs> but I can understand mm. why fans, right. they say, well, he's the greatest manager, yeah. paste that onto England mm. and everything will be fine. Yeah. But it's totally different. No, as you say, when you've got the players for maybe 15 days, yeah, more, as well, opposed to having them for yeah. 300 days. Yeah. Exactly, during totally the whole course of the year. Totally, totally different absolutely. job. So, as I say, you know, mischievously mm -hmm. as a Scotland fan, bring it on. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. think what it would have been it, great. It would have been it? an implosion. No. International management is a collegiate mm. thing. Yes. You've got to get on with the coaches and the managers mm -hmm. and, and pull all the strands together. But anyway, can I just talk, while we have Martin's presence here, we've established that he's among this electorate, the preeminent genius of management of our lifetimes. How did that genius manifest itself? What was it actually like to go into work? Well, every day was an experience. There's no mm. question about that. And he made it so. He didn't actually coach yeah. on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. He didn't do that. He wasn't down in the field coaching, putting corns out and things mm. like this. He did, we didn't do that. But what he did do, he coached during the course of games. And I felt that that was far more important because... In the heat of battle, mm. someone telling you something that's going to stick. Mm. For instance, teaching things like fullbacks doing their job. And I know we have these overlapping fullbacks. And Viv Anderson was a big example of an overlapping fullback. Oh, yeah. Magnificent. But his first job was to defend. We had a very, very good player a couple of years before Viv took over at right back, Irish international called Liam O'Kean. Mm -hmm. And Liam was an excellent tackler. He was a centre-half to begin with, but then it was over to the right-hand side. But Liam sometimes was a little bit frightened of wingers who were coming at them. And there was, um, what do you call the wee winger, played for Millwall, went to Manchester United? Gordon Hill. Gordon Hill. Gordon was well, this particular day. And Liam would keep backing off him and keep backing off him. And Clough is roaring at him. And so at half-time, Clough says to him, what are you doing? You're backing off and you're backing off. And he says, if you keep backing off, you'll be in the bloody River Trent by the time you finish <laughs> And then he told him what to do. He said to him, your job is to stop the cross coming in at source if you mm -hmm. can. Mm -hmm. So you go down and you engage that player. Yeah. And you try and send him in a direction in which you're comfortable with and that we can get a chance to get back in mm -hmm. at centre-backs mm -hmm. back in. And then he said, but don't sell yourself, but also don't keep backing off. Yeah. There's a stage in other where you're going to have yeah. to put your yeah. foot in. Yeah. So those little things he's teaching us during yeah, the course of the game. Yeah. And honestly, Pat, every one of them stood the test of time. I've said this before, but it's worth repeating how quick-witted he was as well. Yeah. So Tony Woodcock comes in one day. I was having a wee bit of a tough time in front of goal for a few matches. I hadn't scored for a couple of weeks. But he came in with a bit of stubble in his chin. And Cloughy said to him, Hey, Woodcock, what's that in your chin? What do you mean, what's that? He said, what's that in your chin? He said, it's a bit of stubble. He said, oh, yeah, I know it is. So he said, but what's it there for? Well, he said, I, I, I was thinking about growing a beard. Why do you want to grow a beard? He said, 
He said, I want it to be different. He said, be different, score a hat trick. <laughs> you know. And uh, it's just brilliant. But it's mainly, you talk about his genius. His genius is really what's his coaching on the field, his motivation, his ability to tell you something, not to give you three or four instructions. The game was really simple. It was yeah. to pass to a red shirt yeah, yeah. and eventually, eventually to play out to the genius, out yeah. and outside left, a wee bit like the... There's a really great phrase in Gaelic football where I was involved, where our best player was a midfield player. Yeah. His name was Jim or whatever it was. He said, I'm going to play midfield. He said, the rest of you scatter around. <laughs> and that's it. So we used to feel as if when we get the ball out to John, yeah. we'll, we'll make our way <laughs> somewhere around, other, yeah. you know, and, and, and he'll figure it out for us all. You know, it's some, but anyway, he was a genius in mm. what he told you. Mm. And it was, sometimes it these wasn't what messages, he told you. These small, sharp yeah, messages. Yeah, absolutely. But sometimes it wasn't even the message. It was how he said it. Yeah. He could have said hello to you in three different ways, but you would have known. He changed our lives. Mm. He changed our lives. And we know more about the game. We know more about everything because of his time there. I watched, obviously, him as a mm. manager. And I watched you as a manager mm. from different points. Where you talk an enormous amount of Clough's style mm. and way. You, for instance, mm. you didn't do a lot of coaching. Is that fair? That's probably true. I didn't feel, again, getting back to the points, I felt that... I had a very, very, very good coach in Steve Walford and he could communicate with the players. We would talk about what we were going to do during the course of the day. I felt as if to say my time really was match days. If I'm speaking to them Monday to Friday, then Saturday's not going to have the same sort of impact. I'm there, regardless of what people say. I'm there all the time. Of course you were. I'm yeah. there. But I left it to Steve to do the coaching. We would have talked about what we wanted to do. So Saturday be, be kind of belonged to me, or, or the, yeah. the the match days belonged to you, and I felt the power of motivation was had to be very strong because those players, the last person they are listening to going out that door to play the game is you. You appear to have learned that from Cough. The I closer think, to the action that they hear that message, the more likely they are to enact. I think that's right. Well, I'm absolutely certain it's right. But you know what? I'm not sure I would have had a different style of management. As I say, I was blessed to have him for a number of years. But I honestly think, I genuinely think, if you start to copy him, mm. you will fall flat on your mm. face. He was a totally different character, a one-off. Mm. And I felt that where I could learn some things, especially my experiences with him, mm. is that I felt as if I could, I could criticise players as long as I redressed that when they did something great, mm. I went overboard in my praise of them. So mm. that was a kind of a, a, a bit of a style that I had. And therefore, I felt as if, I've, if I have really praised someone, particularly in front of the rest of the group, then he will take the sort of criticism a wee bit yeah. better. Yes. You know, yes. coming up. My early days at Wickham. And this might tell you something about me. I did have a green shirt. And I wore that for three or four matches until my wife said, what on earth are you wearing a green shirt for? Get that shirt off and win some matches. <laughs> I took the shirt off, certainly would so So was honestly, so subconsciously, Pat, yeah, there must have yeah. been something there. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure. The other point to note of all Cluffs players from that era, you were the most successful from that side, mm. taking and going into management. Mm -hmm. And all credit to you. Yes. In 1975, if I really want to analyse myself, I'm a two bit player going nowhere. I've fallen out with everybody. I blamed everybody. I blamed the manager, Alan Brown, 
the only thing I will say in my defence about Alan Brown is Alan Brown didn't think that John Robertson was any good either. So that, I'm kind of semi-pleased about that. Yeah. However, it didn't mean that... Badge that, you of know, honour. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and yeah. it was always somebody else's fault when Brian Clough arrived. It didn't mean overnight in the sense he put me straight into the team against Tottenham Hotspur, straight into the side. He made me look at myself in a way that I'd really never done before. If you want to try and make the grade, son, you know, you've got to do something about it. You know, your fight should be not with your mate who hasn't passed the ball to you. It should be with you, what you did or didn't do with the ball. I see a player there. You've got to try and get it out yourself. You've got to pull yourself together. And I think there's some really something in that. Would that have happened had, had I had another Alan Brown as the next manager? Uh, yes. Don't know about that. Yeah, no. That's F- the point. Final question, Martin. I want to know how it was that you finished with Clark. I mean, what was the circumstances surrounding and the atmosphere surrounding your departure from, from Forest? OK, well, I, I mentioned earlier about the possibility of going to uh, Coventry City. That would have been January of 1980. I didn't go. As it turns out, great news because we end up going to the League Cup final. We mm. lost two Wolves when Peter Shilton and David Needham ran into each other and Andy Gray just mm. put the ball into an empty net. But we did reach the European Cup final and won it. And for me to play in the European Cup final, which I hadn't played in the previous year, the final, and to hold that European Cup off was fantastic. So that was May, June time of 1980. Fast forward, new season. The younger players are coming into the side, but We're not really replacing the players. And we just got knocked out against a Bulgarian team in the first round Mm -hmm. of the European Cup. And that was when Tira and them decided, well, we'll have to change the side. I thought the players that they were bringing into the football club weren't good enough to keep Forrest where we were. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I wanted to play centre midfield. I'm I'm going to bore you for about five sentences in this one. All right. I wanted to play centre midfield. John McGovern, I think John had picked up an injury or something like this here at the time, but I got a chance to play in there. But then when John was fit again, I was moved to outside right. I was now starting to really not like it anymore yeah. because at international level, I was yeah. playing centre midfield. That's where I wanted to play. I played wide against Ipswich in this game. I didn't play well in the match. And following week, Stoke City, I'm left out. I'm subbed. And I thought, that's it. I'm going in. I'm, I'm not going to play anymore. Imagine saying these things now. I am not playing anymore. So I knock on the door on the Friday. The team's up and I'm 12th man against Stoke City. Taylor and he were both in the room. And I said, that's it. I'm not playing anymore. What are you talking about? I said, I'm not playing anymore. I've had enough of this here. And it was one of those things. Yeah. That, as Alan Parry used to say to me, Martin, you would resign if someone nicked your car park in space. <laughs> so I, I, I've had enough. And t- you be here. You be here tomorrow. Don't talk nonsense. I didn't come in. So John Robertson, my friend, phoned me. John said, do you want to hear the good news or the bad news? And I said, well, what's the good news? The game's off. And secondly, but the bad news is that Clougher came over to the city ground to see whether you were in the bus or not. <laughs> oh, so anyway, I go in on Monday. The two of them pull me into the office. Taylor wants to kill me. If I had my way, you'd never play again for the football club. And I said, well, I didn't want to play anymore. <laughs> so anyway, I got suspended for a couple of weeks and I thought, well, that's it. They'll bring me back. Brought me back for a reserve game. But then, remarkably bring me back to play in the World Club Championship match. The Uh, World Club Championship, we were playing a team called Nacional of Uruguay. And it was the first time that was one leg, one leg played in Japan. But my relationship had really fractured by that stage with them. So I come back again, uh, play a game, and remarkably, the rearranged game of Stoke City 
was on a Wednesday night and I'm subbed. So it was all right back round again. So I come on, actually, I, I do well in the match. And my final game, Norwich City in the meantime had made a bid for me. So Clough and Taylor had accepted the bid. But they put me in against Arsenal. I start against Arsenal. And I said to the manager of Norwich, Ken Brown, I said, Ken, if Clough and Taylor, after this game, if they want me to stay, I'm going to stay at the football club which I never really wanted to leave Forest in. I know I'd have stayed there at 105, to tell you the truth. Anyway, I scored twice against Arsenal. Clough comes in at the end of the game. He said, you and I should fall out a bit more often. <laughs> and, but in the meantime, John Sadler, John Sadler oh, was yes, at the game. Yes, yes. John Sadler comes back to tell me they haven't changed their mind. You can still go. And I went to Norwich then after mm-hmm. that. But my last evening with him, it was quite emotional, really, because he brings me into the office. This is on a Monday night, John, after the Arsenal mm-hmm. game. Listen, we've had great, great, you know, we were great days, and you've been part of this, you know. And it was almost as if I think he was kind of mm. saying, "You're going. We think it's a good deal, but you've done well for yes. us, you know that yeah, sort yeah, of yeah, thing. You've yeah, done yeah. well for that's us." What he and was, I just thought, that was, I thought that's that was the way it was, yeah. you know. And that was it. So well, I went that's to rather a nice way to do it, actually. Do you know so what? The last, the last day actually was probably, probably his most pleasant to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, do you leave with happy memories then? I think. I, 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 yeah. Oh. And also great achievements, but, but well, also listen, happy honestly, memories. But from 1975, we go on a roller coaster run. You know, when Taylor arrives in, in the summer of 76, we win promotion 77. We won the League 78, we won the European Cup 79, we won the League Cup 79, we won League Cup 78, and won another European Cup in 1980. So we lost on the Saturday against Wolverhampton Wanderers in the League Cup final. We have to play the second leg against Berlin, Dynamo Berlin, when we are a goal behind from the first leg at home. So we have to go out to Berlin, it's about minus seven out there, to try and get through. We would be one of the one of, I think maybe about the fourth team, Patrick, I think I might have lost a home game mm. to finally get yeah, through. Yeah. So the odds of a... And I remember being with Frankie Gray and John. We hadn't really got over the disappointment of losing a, a game against Wolves that we should really have been able to have beaten. And I said to them on the Monday night, we're out in Berlin the Monday night, really bitterly cold. And I said, you know what? If we only win the European Cup this year... Not be a great season. <laughs> oh, I want to get my head examined. I, really, I swear to God, the two of them looked at me as if to say, "Are you serious?" He's gone mad. So that was Patrick. I swear to God, I actually said that. And I, I can understand because I think Guardiola would have felt the same way had he lost to Inter Milan. Yeah, exactly. Crazy. Martin, thank you so much. It's been absolutely terrific. The title of your book is "On Days Like These." Do you remember a film called The Italian Job? I do. It was yes. written by Don. The words written by my friend of mine called Don Black. Is that right? Yes, honestly. It was, absolutely. Well, Matt Monroe, the and crooner, sings, sings the opening yes. song That's and it says on days like these. That's and right. I thought That's it was first thing I remember. Great. great. Well, okay. thank you for that. Okay. Thank you for a terrific, well, however long it's been. Thank you to Martin. Thank That's you great. to Patrick Barclay. And thank you to John Holmes. And thank you to everybody who's been listening and enjoying it. Please tell us what you think about these podcasts. It's important for us to know how they're being accepted. You can find us if you write to us at footballruinmylife at gmail.com. That's footballruinmylife, all one word, at gmail.com. This is Colin Schindler saying thanks. See you next time.
Social Podcast Network.